This is episode 355 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's articles are What You Need to Know About Short-Term Food Storage and The Four Stages of the Collapse of Venezuela. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Everyone, this episode is sponsored by my new ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. If you're looking to build multiple streams of income into your finances, then you might want to get this book and join the forums. You can find out more information by clicking the link in the show notes or coming over to thepropperwebsitepodcast.com. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our first article of the podcast. It comes to us from modernselfreliance.com. And the title is a little misleading. It says, What You Need to Know About Short-Term Food Storage. When you think about short-term food storage, um, in your mind, you might be thinking, you know, like a week or two weeks, and it, it is building off of a, a small amount. But when she says food storage here, uh, the author is talking more um, along like three years, four years. As you look at expiration dates, things that can uh, stay in your pantry, as opposed to long-term food storage, like. Uh, you know, if you were to pack your own uh, Mylar bags or you were to buy something like uh, legacy food buckets or something along those lines. Um, I'm choosing to read this article because um, it really walks you through how easy it is. And now I know I've talked about this before, um, but we always have a lot of new people listening to the podcast and I just want to reiterate, and not only to the new people, but also to those of us who maybe we haven't started our food storage really yet. You know, we really haven't, well, we've read about it, or maybe we've heard podcasts about it, but we've really never started it. And it's not hard. Sometimes it seems like it's overwhelming when you're talking about those big, you know, like have a, a year's worth of food storage or six months worth of food storage, but it really isn't that difficult. And so I like this article because it really broke it down for you and uh, really shows you how easy it is. And so there's a little bit more information in here as well. So let's go ahead and jump right into this one. Again, like I said, coming to us from modernselfreliance.com, what you need to know about short-term food storage. And then I also want to let you know that right off the bat, I mean, if you were to sign up for the email list here, they do have a free family preparedness printout. And so it's 35 plus pages of examples and worksheets. And, you know, that's always kind of beneficial if you're interested in looking at something like that. And so I normally don't promote, you know, the giveaways that people do when you sign up for their email list. But I just thought I'd point that out because, you know, that's 35 pages there. You might find something there that, that is useful. All right. So let's go ahead and dig in. Most people like to eat. It's a human experience we all enjoy and also need to live. In this article, we talk in depth about ensuring a steady food supply to ride small disruptions in life. Resources to help with designing your short-term food plan, one-month food stash for less than 150 and free family preparedness workbook with printouts, examples, and worksheets. And those are links that you can click on there. So what is short-term food storage? 
If you look at the food you have in your pantry, such as canned green beans and a half-open box of pasta, you will find that most expiration dates are in the one to four year range. This is what I mean by short-term food storage. These foods can be stored in the event fresh food is not available, but will not last for decades. Eventually, the natural order of things will come. Oxygen will invade and your foods will start to break down. Storing canned goods in dark, cool places can extend its printed shelf life, but not enough to be considered long-term. We will consider short-term foods those which have a shelf life of one to four years sitting in a room temperature cabinet. We don't include items that need to be frozen or require refrigeration. So why short-term food storage? Number one, minor supply disruptions. There are a multitude of cases that could cause supply disruptions. It is healthy to buy fresh veggies at the store every week, but any number of problems could disrupt your ability to do so. Store resupply transportation issues, power outage anywhere along the supply chain, local store power outages, personal job loss and income shortage, lack of reliable transportation to the store, extreme weather conditions like snowstorms, hurricanes, tornadoes, etc., and maybe a union worker strike. Number two, it's easy to buy and obtain. Short-term food items are relatively easy to obtain. Canned goods, dry beans, rice, pasta, tomato sauce, soup are all standard goods you can find at grocery stores, convenience stores, some gas stations, etc. You don't have to seek out a source for bulk 30 pounds of beans or 5 pounds tub of oil. Short-term foods can be stocked normally as part of your family's normal grocery shop. It should just neatly fit right into your established habits. Number three, store in the original packaging. Short-term food items can be stored in the original packaging. Canned goods stay in their cans, pasta can stay in its cardboard box, and rice can stay in its plastic bag. For a few years, given a pest-free cabinet, these foods will be just fine. Over decades, oxygen and moisture will degrade the food, but this is not the case for a few years. All short-term food can be stocked away just as they are, plain and simple. Number four, it's insurance. We view short-term food supply like all our preparedness supplies as insurance. We buy an extra canned good today when we have access and can't afford it. When we are low on cash, can't get to the store, or the store is closed, we have the insurance in the pantry. Unlike typical insurance, we don't have to make a claim and wait weeks to see the payout. Our food is a way to set our minds at ease. That way, we can handle small disruptions of food supplies without drastically changing our family's eating habits. And so let me just uh, add a couple more things here that I just want to add. Um, You can do it very inexpensively. When you're adding these dry goods, you can do it a little bit at a time and you can, you know, you're not dropping down three, four, five hundred dollars on long term food storage. Um, You know, you're not buying buckets, you know, that that you need to place somewhere like in a closet or something along those lines. It's very, very affordable to add, you know, the, the food, dry foods, canned foods to your pantry and you can always shop the sales. The other thing there is there are people out there and you might be one of them that you're going to the grocery store every single day to, uh, you know, to, to buy something to make for dinner. 
And not only is that crazy as far as your time, because you're having to stop, you're having to get out of your car, you know, you're having to, to go through the aisles and fight the lines, get back in your car, come home and cook it. I mean, that's just wasted time. So just having food storage at home, short-term food storage, and if you were to make a, a menu, whether that be for the week or maybe even two weeks, um, just it, it takes the, all that decision time out of it. And so you're able to go more on autopilot. You know what you're doing. You can come home, you can cook, and then you can do whatever you need to do. And so that's really, it's one of those procedural things that save you a little bit of time. If you are, uh, and that winds up saving you money as well. Uh, I know that when we ran the group home, there was another couple that, uh, that they would go to the grocery store every single day and they, they wasted more money that way. They were always short at the end of the month. Uh, in their food budget, and we had a budget uh, for food and, and different different uh, line items uh, that we had that the agency would give us when we ran that group home. Uh, at the at the beginning, uh, we were employees of the agency, but you know they, they were always having issues with that. And we would create our menu. We actually created our menu for the whole month. We would plan it out. We would go to Sam's because we all had a Sam's card, and so we would go to Sam's and we would buy everything that we needed there. We would stock up our freezer. I mean, this is pre-preparedness time for us. We would stock up our freezer. We would stock up our refrigerator. And the only time that we went to the grocery store was to buy like bread, milk, and eggs if we really needed it and, and fresh fruit and stuff like that. But for the most part, we knew everything that we needed. So we weren't going to the to the grocery store but once a week to get the, the important things. So it really saves you time and takes out all that, you know, the the, the figuring out of what you're doing. All right, so let's go ahead and continue. What to store for the short term? Store what you currently eat. In general, we recommend storing what you typically typically eat in a normal week, unless, of course, you eat frozen TV dinners for every meal. Some items to get you started. Oatmeal, jam, and honey, protein powder, cereal and powdered milk, instant coffee and powdered creamer and sugar, mac and cheese, pasta, pasta sauce, cheese sauce, tomato sauce, pesto sauce, etc., rice, box items like instant mashed potatoes, stuffing, hamburger helper, uh, matzo balls, pouch items like pasta sides, rice sides, flavored oatmeal, etc., nuts like peanuts and almonds and trail mix, dry beans, pinto, black lentil, split peas, canned goods like beans, corn, peas, green beans, lentils, baked beans, tomatoes, carrots, potatoes, beets, cooking greens, etc., Cooking oil like olive oil, coconut oil, vegetable oil, etc. Spices, salt, pepper, premixed spices, uh, spice packets, etc. And then drinks like Gatorade mix, juice boxes, water flavor, um, etc. After your next grocery shop, look at your cart. How much of it came from the inside aisles of the grocery store? These items typically have the shelf life we are looking for. The outside sections of grocery stores tend to have the perishable items like meats, cheese, produce, and bread. Do not store what your family does not eat. If you do not like it now, you won't magically like it when you need it. Sure, you will eat it if you are hungry enough, but why not stock what your family does like to eat? That will make the disruption to your life less stressful and perhaps with less complaining from the family. So how much short-term food to store? Start with three days. What does three days of food look like for your family? What does each person like 
to eat. For my family of two, a single day could look something like this. Breakfast. Half a cup of oatmeal plus two tablespoons of jam per person. For lunch, a protein bar and mixed nuts. For dinner, two cups of chili each made from canned tomatoes, black beans, baked beans, corn, pre-mixed chili seasoning, and optionally rice. This chili recipe is difficult to scale for one day and makes six to eight servings, depending if we make two cups of rice uh, uncooked. While not optimal, we could make one batch of chili and reheat it for each meal. This chili won't go bad if left out for a day and recooked at each mealtime. Not optimal, I know, but doable. If you have a wood stove, you could leave the chili simmering there. So three days for two people would look something like this. Three cups of oatmeal plus water, 12 tablespoons of jam, six protein bars plus six servings of mixed nuts, one can of corn, one can of baked beans, one can of black beans, one can of diced tomatoes, one pre-mixed chili seasoning, and two cups of rice. All right, so, um, and that would be three days worth there. Now, uh, I got to tell you, for me, the protein bar and the mixed nuts for lunch would n- would not work. And uh, for dinner, uh, I love chili, and uh, I would definitely, you know, I, I could do chili. Uh, a meatless chili for me, that's kind of hard, but I mean, I could do that if everything else was flavor- flavorful, um, you know, so that's definitely doable. Um, but, you know... This is this is more on the, the the real real healthy side. You can definitely add to this in so many different ways and still be healthy. But uh, I, I don't know. Some of you might have a might have a problem with keeping you know the chili simmering for a couple of days. But unless you're in a grid down situation and you don't have uh, you know electricity or whatever, there's no reason why you just can't just refrigerate uh, whatever you have or even freeze it if you have different menu items. So if you were doing you know this chili for three days, you can, you know, space it out, you know, put it in different containers and freeze it and and bring in other things if you wanted to do that. But anyway, that's how easy it is really when you think about it. It's like, what would I do for one day? And then you just, you just multiply that by three times and that gives you three days. Now you wouldn't want to eat, you know, the same thing for three days in a row, but you can, you can easily do what would I want to eat this day? What would I want to eat the second day? What would I want to eat the third day? Now, if you tripled all that, then you have, you know, nine days worth. So you easily have your week plus um, there. So it's really easy to do when you really break it down that way. When you have three days worth of food for your family, double the amount to cover you for a week. What new recipes could you include so you don't get tired of the same food? What additional things would you desire? You can go three days without coffee, but after a week, you may want a cup or two. Keep expanding your food supply to stretch for longer and longer periods of time. All right, so um, so that's kind of what I was talking about there. And the coffee, I mean, uh, if you are a coffee drinker, there's no way you're going three days without coffee. Uh, So definitely you need to look into uh, storing coffee and maybe even even having some green uh, unroasted uh, coffee beans, right? Well, I mean, if there were green, they would be unroasted, but green coffee beans, storing those. And uh, so you would have uh, some coffee for for long term, right? Um, I've even played around with a little bit and, and I really haven't uh, I just played around a little bit, but not really uh, like for a full week or whatever. But 
what would it be like if you reused coffee grounds or not just reused them, but you know, you added to coffee grounds uh, every single day and that way that would lessen the amount that you would need. Of course, it would be uh, a weaker coffee. And, but if you were, you know, in a poop, uh, poop hit the fan situation, right? Uh, you were in a situation where you knew you were going to start running out of coffee and you weren't going to get it supplied because coffee, all coffee is imported. Coffee is the second uh, biggest imported good in the country, right? Uh, and so uh, it, it gets imported. You're not going to grow coffee. I, I think there are some uh, places like in Florida that people have attempted to grow uh, coffee beans and they might have been successful. But for the most part, um, you know, you, you're you're out of coffee, right? There are substitutes out there that you can, you can look into. But for the most part, what are you going to do when you start running out of coffee? And so maybe that um, that idea Maybe somebody needs to do an article on it. Or maybe some experiments on that. Um, that could get you to the point where it finally weans you off of it uh, without feeling a lot of effects. You know, you slowly uh, doing that. So anyway, uh, that's that uh, with uh, with that coffee. But anyway, uh, she you know she talks about here how easy it is to add to that wheat. All right, so uh, moving on, checking and rotating your short term food storage. Since these items have a shorter shelf life, they need to be rotated out with fresh supplies. Luckily, if you did your homework, these canned goods are foods your family already eats. It's not just a matter of being sure to eat the old ones and replace them with new ones. For us, we do a six-month check to see if any items are missing. We often find that some, someone wanted corned beef hash for breakfast, took a can, but didn't write it down. So the next shopping trip, it wasn't replaced. Magically, items disappear even in our two-person household. I can only imagine what having children or teens in the mix would do to my organization. Our method. A calendar marked November to May or November and May. My Google Calendar tells me what to check each month. In November and May, I check my short-term food supply for items that may have gone missing. I don't have to remember. Google reminds me. If you use paper, mark the dates ahead of time. Cans labeled expiration dates. On each can or box, I have used a marker to clearly label the expiration date. This means I can quickly look over the item to see what is close to expiring. When you add the replaced items, take a moment to label the new expiration dates in a large font. Replace what is missing. Make a list of missing items and set the list in a place you will remember to take to the grocery store. Eat what is about to expire. Remove items that are set to expire in the next six months from your supply and add them to your pantry. Add the removed items to your shopping list. Sit back and relax. You are all set for another six months. All right. So, I mean, it looks to me like they they're, they prep for six months at a time. You know, I was reminded uh, as I was reading that again, I worked with a guy whose uh, father-in-law, uh, he was single. I, mean, I think he was a widow. Uh, widowed, and he was at the point where he had uh, a certain amount of food, and it was stocked up in his pantry. And this was before preparedness. I I don't know if he was a prepper or not. Uh, I think he was ex-military. But anyway, so he had a certain amount of cans of the things that he liked, 
and certain boxes and all those types of things. And so when he went to the grocery store, he just looked, I mean, he, it, it was nice and organized. So he knew exactly what he needed. Right. Uh, and he was just one person, uh, you know, and so it was very easy for him to do something like that. But uh, that might be something that if you are very consistent in what you eat and you don't vary too often, um, that might be something that you could do is like, hey, I know that I always have 18 cans of this. Right. And uh, and so if when I go to the grocery store, I'm missing two or three cans. I just replace them. Uh, definitely. You want to do the first in, first out. You want to rotate those. So the, the last ones or the, the, the most recent ones you purchased, you want to move those to the back. So uh, having a way to do that easily uh, is always helpful. All right, so cooking your short-term food storage. Cooking your food should be very similar to how you normally cook, as they are foods you eat every day. They should be easy for you to cook. Some meals could even require no cooking at all. Some meals may be fully cooked but just need to be heated up. Meals that don't require heating or cooking will save on fuel if you have to ration that as well. Water. If you if your food requires water, then you will need to take that into consideration as well. Do you have a good supply of water or at least water filters to purify cooking water? Consider a simple Sawyer filter to clean potentially contaminated cooking water. Power outage. If there is a power outage, you will have to consider if your normal cooking situation will work. And then again, there is a link to eight steps to evaluate your food preparedness for a power outage. If you have an electric stove and are concerned about losing power, consider a propane camp stove or gas grill as a power-free alternative. It takes a little bit of planning to get into the habit of buying extra food as insurance. It also takes a little bit of time to check for missing items and make a list of what needs to be replaced. Once you get into a rhythm, it should be a quick part of your routine to ensure your family can ride small disruptions in life without foregoing your favorite foods. All right, guys. So uh, that's it for the for the article. Uh, like I said, over at modernselfreliance.com. If you have not started uh, some kind of food storage plan, uh, let me just you know please start thinking about it. Start doing it. Start moving towards it. It is not hard to do. Uh, maybe you're listening to this podcast for the very first time. There's a lot of you know we we talked a little bit about reasons why you would have you you would want food storage and uh, you would have you would want to have a deep pantry uh, so that you can uh, access it uh, whenever you whenever you need to. But if there was ever disruptions for whatever reason you know that you have a certain amount of food that can last for uh you know for a while and so that you can feed your family and that's the that's the important part a, a lot of the things when she was talking about rice and bean you know she's talking about canned beans and things like that but uh, very easily easily you can move short term food storage to long term food storage when you start incorporating uh you know plastic food buckets mylar bags and oxygen absorbers and so, you know, you can do pasta, you can rice and beans and those types of things. Uh, you know, it's very easy to move it to long-term food storage. But first, get your short-term food storage, uh, you know, get your pantry built up and, uh, you know, n- know where you're going there. All right, guys. So uh, like always, I'm going to link to this article in the show notes. All right. So our next article comes to us from theorganicprepper.com. Um, this one is again talking about Venezuela and uh, it's entitled The Four Stages of the Collapse of Venezuela. It's not a very long one, but Jose is kind of looking back 
uh, and uh, you know thinking about the things that uh, have happened and you know maybe where it's going and giving us a little bit of a heads up and like hey pay attention to these things and uh, you know keep your eyes open. So uh, I just wanted to read this for you and uh, share it with you and uh, you can take it uh, wherever you you would like to take it. But uh, let's go ahead and just jump into this one. Like I said, four, the four stages of the collapse of Venezuela. When looking back at the collapse of Venezuela, I see that nothing there happened which was new. As many other countries that have experienced a similar circumstance can attest, we went through four stages of collapse. Stage one, the exile. The first stage was the exile, voluntary for those outstanding opposition members of the political world and that could foresee and feel the first impacts of the delinquent mafia. These are politicians that understood exactly what the taking over the Supreme Court in 2015 was about, a seizing in power consolidation upon the occupation of the justice system, subordinated to the president figure. This would block any further attempt of judging the politicians of the Socialist Party and anyone who collaborated with them, no matter the crimes committed. It is very likely that they had first-hand information and they knew what was about to come. They tried to warn what was coming up to the entire population. Some still do it, like Pablo Aur or the journalist Braulio Hattar, a prisoner at home and can't make public statements, and the journalist Tamar Suju, and they received the first threats, the first incarcerations, and even political participation prohibitions were given. Possible opposition candidates like Leopoldo Lopez and Capriles are no longer an option. They were totally sold and corrupted. Capriles received money from the Odebrecht bribes, according to the CEO's statement. Stage 2, the upper middle class migration. The second stage was the upper middle class migration. Those professionals who could slowly see their life quality diminishing and albeit having their Properties and extended families decided to flee away. Given the good level of education, many of them with fourth-level studies, they could go through the process without too much of a struggle. Okay, he mentions uh, in this article fourth-level studies and third-level studies, and I'm not exactly sure what he means because I think here later on he he refers to third-level studies as being like doctors and lawyers and things like that. So I'm not exactly sure what a fourth-level study might be. Maybe that's PhD level. Uh, I don't know. All right. So, uh, but even doctors would be, I mean, that's an MD level. So I'm not sure exactly what that is. Um, anyway, anyone who knows, feel free to share it with me. Um, after all, this has happened in a lot of countries and we are not the exception. Fortunately, the free college education, sometimes that differentiated Venezuela from other countries in South America, allowed access to third level studies to those who really appreciated them and with the needed financial capabilities and endurance to finish them, and became professionals, usually with help of the entire family. A lot of medicine, healthcare, engineering, and law professionals came from the lower middle class, just like myself and almost my entire extended family. There are a lot of stories about the grandma having to sell arripas in the streets or cleaning houses and offices just so their sons and daughters could become factory laborers or medium-level technicians and their descendants could become MDs, lawyers, and engineers. 
The oil revenues invested in good education in the 80s and 90s decades were one of our strengths. However, remember the so-called Cultural Revolution in China? After the leftist wing took over the country, this changed drastically. The resources for universities and state-sponsored educational institutions were cut off. The salaries for the education professionals are a joke, as are more most of the salaries of the working class. The implementation of the left doctrine in the army educational institutions permeated and undermined the Republican education, allowing a revolution or quote unquote revolutionary influence that has resulted extremely toxic for the moral and ethical values that our armed forces once had. The respect for our constitution no longer exists neither in the army. In the name of the so-called quote-unquote revolution, that no longer exists but in the shallow, empty words that compose the increasingly weaker, arrogant, and now desperate speeches of the mafia expositors, our constitution has been stepped on, torn, and violated an overwhelming number of times. <laughs> Guys, what does that sound like, right? Um, the dissidents like me that once realized where this was really going are now the majorities and these are being sub subjugated by hunger and disease. Most of the military officers are now under a strict surveillance by the intelligence organizations and perhaps some others that we don't even know. The disassembly of the antique Republican army structure is already complete with young illiterate officers with medium high ranks but without any formal instruction to deserve them and total impunity. Ranks are for providing authority, getting through outposts without being checked, and imprisoning people without a court order. And of course, this is illegal, but they do it anyway. Before Hugo's mess, send someone to prison was send someone to prison was not so easy. These days people have been in jail just for tweeting how peed off they are with the mafia. This can be verified in the social networks such as Twitter and Facebook. It was not my intention to write a merely political article, but here it goes. The consequences of the political mess is what has kicked us out of our country. So just going back, it's like there was that where the education was uh, starting to be dealt with, right? So it was like a multi-pronged effort where they're dealing with education, kind of dumbing down education or making it to where it's not relevant, where you're not, it's not worth it for you to go to school. The army has been, you know, kind of being purged there. There's people there that are, you know, not as intelligent, can't make those big, uh, can't see the big picture, maybe not big problem solvers. Um, they have rank and they're just kind of yes man. They're going to, uh, they, they want the rank and they want the title and the power, but uh, nothing more than that. And uh, man, that uh, kind of sounds familiar. Uh, stage three, seizing private property. This is incredibly painful for me as the third stage seems to be starting, taking the private properties off the hands of the unarmed owners. In Villa Rosmini, Marciabo City, Zulia State, they demolished the gate of a subdivision with a payloader when the neighbors refused to allow in the police and the thugs. There was not even one shot at the authorities destroying private property. They were there protecting the the operator of the payloader. So he's saying here that the authorities were there, but they weren't protecting the homeowners. They were protecting the people tearing down the, the, the gate. They are going to assign, quote unquote, assign the empty homes to collectivos, 
Collectivo's gangs, and they are going to be spying for the government and collecting information about the neighbors. Stage 4, Locking Up Dissidents. It is the third stage, collecting information for the communist mafia that will propel the next. When they go home after home in the fourth stage, they will prepare concentration camps for the dissidents, as it already happened in Russia and China. I knew this was going to happen after witnessing Uncle Hugo seizing buildings in the center of Caracas to assign them, well, to quote-unquote assign them to the quote-unquote poor, whoever these guys were. We hurried up to get our passports shortly after that, just in case. Go figure. Many people laughed at me. Now they don't, especially those who could not leave the country. I can't believe I am writing about this right now, but I do know that sometimes the reality overcomes our wildest fantasies. Albeit I have never been a very religious man, I can't avoid to notice his intervention in my life, and I truly give thanks every day for all of my blessings. It has started slowly, but the paint on the wall is there, fresh and dripping all over the place. The mafia has made of the state a failed one, has looted our national wealth, imprisoning those who oppose to this with violence and generated a constant terror in the citizens. This is a technique carefully used in those left and Nazi totalitarian governments with a modern twist if you want. International sanctions work against them to a certain degree, but this is not enough. Destroying a gate with a payloader just because the neighbors don't want their subdivision filled up with thugs living next to their kids and elders, that is a very different fur of an animal. This is a total lack of respect for property and people. This deserves to be punished, and very severely. It is an open intimidation. It is a crime against our Constitution and the rights that once were guaranteed by it. All right, guys. So, you know, this is one of those, I guess, we keep talking about it. And recently I wrote an article on Prepper website uh, about uh, the you know bartering and how preppers can thrive in a barter economy. And I might read that here soon on, on the podcast. Um, but when you, when you really think about, um, you know, this Venezuela and, you know, we look at it because it gives us some insight. Now, does it completely, uh, apply to everything here in the United States? No. One of the things is that um, you know the, the army is in charge over there. They can enforce things. The 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 citizens can't fight back. They they're fighting back with with rocks and, and stones and sticks. But the you know the army has um, you know they have uh, weapons and, and guns and they can put down any kind of protest very very quickly. Um, so not everything applies equally to what you know what we would see in the United States. But it is one thing that to look at what is going on over there and see the developments and how things happen. And, uh, you know, uh, again, I always state this, you know, as I was uh, linking to articles on Prepper website, it was things like diapers. You couldn't find diapers anymore. And then it was stuff like feminine hygiene products. And then it was toilet paper. And then it just seemed to spiral very quickly after that. And you couldn't find food and you couldn't find, you know, all those types of things. And, and last time, um, man, there was an article that I wanted to kind of pinpoint. Um, I'm gonna have to go back and find it, but, uh, inflation in, in, uh, Venezuela is like 43,000%. It's crazy how much it is. And, uh, and so you, you really feel for the people that are over there, but it needs to be a wake up call to us to, you know, how, uh, it, it seems to kind of go slowly, 
and and then it just really begins to snowball. And so, uh, you know, thank goodness, you know, people like Jose were able to see the signs, uh, you know, reading uh, the book by uh, Fernando uh, Aguirre on uh, the modern survivalist on getting out of Argentina and the things that happened over there. Uh, you know, a very eye-opening uh, as well. And so, anyway, just one of those things that this, that's why we keep our eyes open. That's why we stay aware of what is happening. Um, we don't always, you know, uh, maybe watch the news. We don't always, we're not always watching CNN and Fox News. I mean, I I don't trust those one bit. But, you know, keeping our, um, our eyes open. Uh, well, this just reminds me that I just recently... Uh, release the weekly watchman over at Ed that matters and uh, always good information because um, the prophecy preachers um, or the teachers talk about current events so they're pulling information from all over the place and they talk about current events a lot of the times things that you don't hear even in the alternative news space right and uh, so they talk about it and a lot of the times they talk about it from a biblical perspective but even if you don't take it from the biblical perspective you're taking that you're, you're taking information that you normally don't hear and so uh, you know that I'm going to link to that in the show notes as well if you want to um, you know there's a lot of videos over there and you can just kind of kind of take your time and watch them throughout the week I definitely would recommend uh, always listening to John Haller and Jacob Prash. Uh, I like their analysis. And, and of course, I mean, there's always a lot of other good stuff in, in there as well uh, to, uh, to, to watch and listen to. I mean, that's what I do. I listen to them uh, while I'm driving. Um, I don't necessarily watch them. But, uh, you know, if you're only going to watch one or two, you know, listen to John Haller and uh, Jacob Prash. Um, you know, you're usually not disappointed. There's a lot of good information over there. But again, the, hopefully I'm, I'm stressing the point that we need to be aware of what is happening, not only in our country, but in, in the world. And uh, those things help us, you know, give us insight into how we need to prepare and how we need to look at things. So guys, that will be linked as well in the show notes, as well as the Weekly Watchman, if you're interested in going and checking that out. All right, everyone. Well, that is it for episode 355. Thanks so much for listening in on this episode. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. You can head on over to the prepperwebsitepodcast.com. We have a ton of ways over there to subscribe, whether that is in iTunes or any other podcast network uh, that that you might be interested in. Uh, That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I'd love to connect with you on social media, whether that be Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.